Well, good morning, church family. Are, are you ready for Christmas? I'm sure everybody here has all their Christmas shopping done. Is that true? Yeah, we're not going to ask for a show of hands. We're going to pretend you're on who wants to be a millionaire right now. And the final question for a million dollars is this. Are you ready? How much money will be spent, is estimated to be spent this Christmas season? Here's the answers you could choose from. A, $3 billion. B, $6 billion. Or C, over $900 billion. Lock in your answer. Is that your final choice? The answer is C. It is estimated this year will be the highest amount of money ever spent during the Christmas season, $960 billion. A study was conducted after Christmas in 2020 that said the average household, see where you land in this, spent $1,387 for Christmas. You can buy all sorts of things from food and clothing, gadgets, technology. You can have them delivered now to your house in hours. Isn't that amazing? But friends, there's something that the retail stores and all the online stores and all that money combined cannot buy you. There's something that everybody truly desires. They truly want it and they're trying to find it in in material things and they never will. What everyone is truly trying to find that cannot be manufactured and sold, money cannot buy you joy. And what is the difference between joy and happiness? According to the ministry, Compassion International, they say this. I think we have a slide for you for this one. That joy is in the heart. Happiness is on the face. Joy is of the soul. Happiness is of the moment. Joy transcends. Happiness reacts. Joy embraces peace and contentment waiting to be discovered. Joy runs deep and overflows while happiness hugs hello. Joy is a practice and behavior. It's deliberate and intentional. Happiness comes and goes casually along its way. Joy is profound and scriptural. Don't worry, rejoice, the Bible says. Joy is an an inner feeling or an attitude. Happiness is an outward expression. And I love this one. Joy endures hardships and trials and connects with meaning and purpose. Isn't that great? Someone wrote, joy is an underlining truth that good or bad circumstances cannot dictate. And happiness is only rooted in circumstances. Wouldn't you agree? That happiness is is rooted in circumstances. In one moment you could be happy and the next moment you could be sad. But joy is long-lasting through good times and in bad. And above all else, friends, joy is biblical. It is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't manufacture joy. Galatians 5, through 24 tells us this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, the Bible tells us that joy is a byproduct of walking closely with Christ. The farther we we drift from Christ, the less joy we have. And the closer we are with Christ, the more joy we have. If we were to measure your walk with Christ and my walk with Christ by our level of joy right now, how's your walk with Christ? How is your level of joy? 
The fruit of the Spirit in general is a great indicator of your walk. And as we drift farther away in our walk with Christ, and maybe some of you have drifted over the years, maybe you're here today or watching online and you don't even know why you're here or why you're watching, but you know that you're not where you used to be with the Lord. The Bible says that we we could be tempted by the fruit of the flesh as believers when we're not walking in the Spirit. And joy is not found anywhere in the fruit of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we're told, here is a list of the, the fruit of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh does not produce joy, only the spirit produces joy. And if we're all honest with ourselves, what we're truly longing for isn't stuff that we can order online or purchase in a store that will not produce joy in our hearts. What we're truly longing for is joy. How is your level of joy? And as believers... There may be times in your life where we go through seasons where your joy may be low, where your joy may just be zapped out of you. And it's in those moments where you've got to reflect and say, where are you, Lord? Or maybe you could say, where am I, Lord, in relationship to you? It's when we walk closely with joy, that our joy, uh, the Lord, that our joy is restored. I have several passages I want to walk through with you this morning. And I want to show you from Scripture reasons to rejoice this Christmas. And not just reasons to rejoice this Christmas, but reasons to rejoice all throughout the year. So today we'll see the reason to rejoice, and we'll see three people who model true joy for us. And we'll examine before we end up today, what is their source or who is their source of joy. So today's outline for our message is found simply, uh, point number one or unit number one will be the, the role of a savior. What does a Savior do? Why is Jesus called our Savior? Why is that significant? And then the second part of our message today will be the need for a Savior. After we see what a Savior does, we'll see why you and I need a Savior. And then third and finally, we'll see today the celebration of the coming of our Savior. So buckle your seatbelts as we roll quickly through several passages of Scripture. Throughout the Bible, the word Savior appears 38 times. More often than not, it's referring to God himself. For example, in Isaiah 43, 11, we're told, the Lord says, I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. The Lord is saying only he saves. There is only one Savior. There is no other Savior. You cannot save yourself. The Lord is the Savior. In the Old Testament, God's people, there's an ebb and flow of obeying the Lord and not obeying the Lord. And when they didn't obey the Lord, they find themselves in trouble that they could not get out of. And God would deliver them and save them over and over and over. They go through difficult times. They cry out to God. God saves them. And then they wander away from the Lord. The Lord would bring difficult times again to bring them back to the Lord, and then, and then they'd wander back. But the Lord over and over demonstrated to his people that God is the one who saves and delivers. And then we arrive at the New Testament. We see references to Jesus all over the New Testament as the Savior, the Savior. 
Here are several for you. I could go through the whole service today reading these for you, but these are just a few. Luke 147. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, which we'll see today. And Luke 2, 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of God a Savior who is Christ the Lord. John 4, 42, this, they said to the woman, this would be the Samaritan woman, the, the encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well. She had gone to the town and told them, Could I, I, found, I found the Messiah, come see him. So they say to her, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. <clears throat> for we have heard with, for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And then Acts 5.31, which we read several weeks ago, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel. And listen carefully, friends, forgiveness of sins. And then finally, 1 John 4.14 tells us this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of Israel. The world. Jesus is never called a savior. He is always called the savior. And he is sent by God the Father to save people from their sins. A savior is one who rescues, redeems, who ransoms, who delivers. He is the one who saves his people from their trouble. Time and time again, our faithful Father has showed us how he has saved his people from their trouble. And the greatest threat and trouble you and I face in life, friends, is sin and death, both physical and eternal separation from God, spiritual death. Jesus came from heaven to earth to make a way that we might be saved by faith in him from sin and death, our greatest enemies. The role of a savior is to save, and Jesus saves. Do you believe that today? Jesus saves. Jesus alone saves. The blood of Christ that was shed for you on the cross washes away your sins. There is no other Savior. And that is part one, the role of a Savior. And so now let's walk through the need for a Savior. Because I've heard people say in life, I don't believe there is a God, so therefore I have no sin. I don't need a Savior. Well, the Bible says that if you, God says himself in his word in Psalms, if you believe there is no God, you're a fool. That's pretty funny, isn't it, that the Lord himself says, you don't believe in me, you're a fool. God is real. And the Bible also says, if you don't believe you're a sinner, that you're calling God a liar. All have sinned, the Bible says, Romans 3.23, and fall short of God's glory. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone is in need of a Savior. I am in need of a Savior. You are in need for a Savior. And we're going to see today that Mary is in need of a Savior. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All people have sinned and all people will perish into a very eternal hot hell if they do not repent and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord. Did you know that the Bible, Jesus, in the Bible Jesus speaks more about the pains of hell than the pleasures of heaven? Why does he do that? Because he wants every person to be warned of the future they're going to have that Christ has come to save us from. Jesus gives us a picture of what that eternal torment looks like in Luke 16. And we must know these truths, friends, to know why Jesus came to save us. And what did he save us from? 
In Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, the Bible tells us this. There was a rich man, Jesus speaking, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who, was, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And and, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And Lazarus said, and sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember in your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between you, us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent he said to him, if they had, do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. For as Jesus rose from the dead, his message is true and crystal clear. The only way to be saved from the flames of hell is to repent and turn to Jesus. Do you believe that today? Because there are people today who deny that message. And Jesus has warned them over and over and over that he is the only savior of the world and that we must turn to him to be saved from eternal destruction. Jesus came to take your sins upon himself. He took God's wrath that you and I deserve, the punishment we deserve, and died for your sins on the cross. Jesus was born and he died for you. Without a savior, all of humanity would be doomed. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Amen and amen. If that doesn't give us joy, what will? That, that, the gospel message should fill our hearts every day. No matter what circumstances come our way. If you have faith in Christ, you are saved from eternal destruction. This life is going to be so fleeting. It comes and goes in a moment. We have the future to look forward to. And that hope should fill our hearts and give us joy. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you are saved you will never be lost again. And now we're going to come to part three and finally of our message. The celebration of the coming of the Savior. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 verse 39. This will be our primary text. We have three witnesses from scripture who will show us the proper attitude of the heart. As we approach the Christmas season. The proper attitude to prepare us. And these witnesses are very unlikely witnesses. First is an elderly woman, very advanced in her years, who, by the way, is pregnant. 
The second is a teenage woman who's a virgin and she's pregnant. And then the third is an unborn child who will be a witness for us today. In Luke chapter 1 verse 31, the scriptures, or 39, tell us this. I'm going to read through this. We're going to walk through it verse by verse and see what the Lord has for us today. To prepare our hearts for the reason to rejoice this Christmas. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of you greeting, the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There's that word. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts and hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remembered, remained with, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. Just before this event happened, there was a a jaw-dropping news given to Mary by the angel Gabriel. He appeared to her and says, Mary, you're going to be with child. She said, how is this possible? I'm a virgin. She said, he says, you're going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And to confirm things that everything I've told you is true, Mary, your elderly cousin, who's barren, who's never been able to have a child in her entire life, but longed for one, she's six months pregnant. Mary praises the Lord and said, let it be as you have said. It seems like no time has passed and she's packing her bags and she's rushing to go to Elizabeth's home almost immediately. Uh, scholars say that Elizabeth could, could have been 60s, uh, 70s, 80s, we don't know. But here she is six months pregnant to validate the message that was given to Mary. Mary is wasting no time. She travels as a a young teenage girl three to four days to the south of where she lives. And she arrives. And how is it possible that this virgin could be with a child? How is it possible that an elderly woman who's barren is six months pregnant? Well, the answer is found in Luke 137 when the angel tells Mary, for nothing is impossible with God. Isn't that wonderful? And my question for you, friends, is when you pray, when you seek out the Lord with all your heart, do you realize you're praying to the God of the impossible? Or do you think in your mind that you're praying to a God that has limitations, so therefore you limit your prayers? Do you limit your prayers to only what you think God can do? 
Or do you take God at his word and say, God, you are the God of the impossible, so I've got some impossible prayer requests. Because our God is a big boy, so to speak. He can handle your prayer requests. And I want to challenge you, friends, to pray to the God of the impossible, your impossible prayer requests, and watch what God does in your life for his glory. I'm not talking about a a prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that oftentimes in life, the Lord will put you in places that seem impossible because he wants you to turn to him and pray the impossible so he can show you his great and mighty hand. Pray to the God of the impossible. In this text, it's just broken down in two ways. Very simply, we see the joy of Elizabeth in verses 39 through 45 and the joy of Mary in verses 46 through 56. We begin here in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. She wasted no time. Why would she go? It's because she has good news. And not only because she has good news, but she's heard good news about her cousin. And I will bet you Mary wants to see if it's true that her cousin is truly six months pregnant. Because that's just going to simply confirm and affirm the message that she heard. And we're told, verse 40, as she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. We're told two times, if you notice in this text that the baby leaped. The second time we find out why the baby leaped. Why is the baby in the womb leaping? And that's the word the Holy Spirit gives us twice. Not only is Mary excited about the coming baby, her savior, but the unborn baby is excited about the coming savior. Isn't it so wonderful, friends, that the Lord uses an unborn child to be a witness in the Christmas story? What does that tell you about the Lord's heart for the unborn? That he would be a witness while still in the womb. Mary is filled with joy because of the coming of Jesus. The baby is filled with joy because of the coming of Jesus. And now we have a third person who is overwhelmed with joy. Why? Because of the coming of Jesus the Savior. The next verse tells us, or next part says, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, and pay close attention to what Elizabeth says about Mary. She says, blessed are you among women. If you're taking notes, you should circle the word among. Because what Elizabeth doesn't say is, blessed are you above women. Mary is not above women. She is not to be worshipped or glorified or honored. She is just a, a normal woman, a sinner, just like me and you who needs a Savior She is the vessel that God has chosen, God the Father, to use to bring about the Savior. And Elizabeth says, and not only are you blessed, and she is truly blessed, but blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the baby that is in your womb because that baby is our Savior that we've been waiting for. The whole Old Testament has been saying, he is coming, he is coming, he is coming. And now we know he is here, he has arrived. Verse 43 says, and this, and why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. God revealed to Elizabeth that the Savior is going to be coming through Mary. She knows who this baby is. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, and here we're told why the baby leaped. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Baby John in the womb was overwhelmed with joy as the Savior drew near to him. The unborn Jesus is coming into the room, and the unborn John responds... Uh, John has true joy here, the scripture tells us. And I want you to think back for just a moment, a little history lesson. 
Several months ago, we walked through the book of Nehemiah. And early in that book, Nehemiah went before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he, he didn't have a smile on his face. He didn't have a heart of joy because he was so distressed by the news of what was happening back in Jerusalem. The wall needed to be rebuilt. And the king says, Nehemiah, why are you so sad in my presence? And Nehemiah was afraid because it was a capital offense to be sad in the presence of the king. In the ancient world, to to not have joy flowing out of you in the presence of the king, you could be punished by death. Because the king thought just to be in his presence should produce joy in people's hearts. So everyone would, would go before King Nebuchadnezzar and have fake joy. They would try to have a fake, a facade to look very joyful in his presence because they didn't want to die. Fake kings produce fake joy. But Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when you are in his presence, friends, true joy is produced in your heart. It's just an overflow of knowing him and drawing near to him. You can't even help yourself, whether you want to or not, to know Christ and draw near to him produces joy. How close are you to Christ right now? Because one of the great uh, prohibitors or inhabitors of, inhibitors of your uh, joy is sin. As we allow sin to creep in our life, it will steal our joy. It will hinder our walk with Christ, and therefore we must continually confess our sin, that our joy in the Lord would return. If you're lacking joy today of the Lord, what sin is, are you harboring in your heart? Are you a joyful person today? Do people see you as a joyful person? I don't mean a facade, but how close are you in your walk with Christ? 45 tells us this. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed the words of the Lord. And because of her belief in the words of God, her heart was overwhelmed with joy. Do you see the relationship being close to the word, being close to the Lord, and there's joy when you believe. And then the second part of this chapter as we wind this up, or this uh, section is the joy of Mary, verses 46 through 56. Mary gives us three reasons to be joyful. The first one is this, what God did for Mary, verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Do you know what this is, friends? This is worship. She is worshiping the Lord. A heart of joy produces a heart of worship. A a closeness to God produces a, a, a joyful heart, which produces worship. And when we're drawn away from the Lord because of our sin, our our joy goes down and our desire to worship goes down. As we draw close to Christ, we have the joy of the Lord. It becomes our strength. And here Mary, who believes God's word, is overwhelmed with joy, which produces a heart of worship. And at Christmas of all times, we should have a heart of joy, of remembering what a Savior is, our need for a Savior, and what Jesus has done for us. Joy is a byproduct of worshiping the Lord. And verse 47 says, And my soul rejoices. Why, Mary? Why are you so joyful? Is it because that package finally arrived from Amazon? Why are you joyful, Mary? Because those packages won't give you joy. We know that. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior, Jesus. Her eyes are fixed on baby Jesus that she knows will be her Savior. And she is the vessel being used to bring him to the world. Verse 48 says, And he looked upon the, my, the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, and they have. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary is personally joyful because of the Savior. Are you personally joyful because of the Savior? Where is your joy for what Christ has done for you? When you pray, every time you pray and I pray, shouldn't we thank the Father for sending the Son? Shall we begin our prayers every time we pray and say, Father, before I even get into my prayers, I just want to thank you so much for sending the Son who bled and died for me that I would be reconciled to you through no effort of my own. Next, we see Mary rejoices because of what God has done for us. That's right, for us, for me and you. Look what the Bible says, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who, who fear him from generation to generation to generation. And here we are today. The Savior is for us. God's mercy is for us. Verse 51 says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in in their thoughts and hearts. God is mighty to save those who are humble and turn to him. The proud will never turn to Jesus. Are you proud today? Do you think you can save yourself from your own sins? Are you humble enough to say, I can't save myself, Lord, and I turn and trust in you? Verse 52 tells us this. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich have been sent away empty. Those who, are, who are think that they're self-righteous and they're rich in their own works will be turned away by God because their own works will not save them. And finally, Mary rejoices for the third reason because of what God did for Israel for what God did for the Jews, verse 54 and 55. And then we're going to close this up with our application. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Through the Old Testament, God promised there was a Messiah who's coming. And now God has delivered on his promise. That's what Mary's saying. And finally, in verse 56, and Mary remained with, with her for three months and then returned home for her. And so now I want to leave you with three points to think about or three points to ponder as we wrap up this message that you could take home with you and apply to your life. Number one is this, that the object of your gaze will impact your praise. This is a true biblical principle. The object of your gaze will impact your praise. When Mary arrived... Elizabeth wasn't focusing on her baby. She's an elderly, barren woman. She had every right to say to Mary, I'm pregnant, I'm six months pregnant, look what God did for me. But that's not what she did. Her eyes weren't on herself, her eyes were on baby Jesus, the Savior of the world. And because of that, joy overwhelmed her heart. She couldn't contain herself. Mary's eyes were on the baby. She couldn't contain herself because Jesus is the the Savior of the world. And the, the baby in the womb was focused and fixated somehow miraculously on the baby Savior coming through the door that he would even leap for joy. Their eyes were fixed on Christ. And friends, it's very tempting for you and I to to put our eyes on circumstances that will zap our joy. But it's in those times especially that we are to turn and and put our eyes on Christ. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 state this, Therefore, since we, have surra- we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to confess our sin because it hinders our walk with the Lord. It hinders the joy of the Lord that should occupy our hearts, and it impacts the worship that we offer to the Lord. What sin is hindering your walk with the Lord today? Number two, a point to think about is this. Don't focus on the here and now. Focus on the there and then. Because if you focus on our world, friends, you are going to be mightily distressed. If you focus on what you're seeing every night on television, you're just going to go into a deep state of depression and no one will ever see you again. We are not to focus on the things of this world. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. Amen. And I told my uh, kids one day, we we're traveling cross country. We, went into, we, we couldn't even afford a Motel 6. We're like in a Motel 3 for about eight hours. And I said to my, my kids, I said, uh, can you imagine if we started bringing in our pictures and hanging them on the wall here? What if we started bringing in our dressers and our furniture and brought in our refrigerator? And they said, Dad, that's silly. We wouldn't do that. I said, why? And they said, because we're, we're only passing through this place. We're only staying for a few hours. But friends, it's very tempting for you and I to set up shop like the world we're living in is not our eternal kingdom and is not. God has something so much far greater and our joy needs to be set on what he has for us in the future, not this sinful world that we're living in today. Let that be your joy. Jesus said in John 16, 33, if the world, in this world you will have tribulation. It's gonna be hard for you. The world's gonna be against you. People are gonna hate you because they hated me, Jesus says. Believers will be under attack by the same world that crucified Christ. But then Jesus said, just after that, his very following words to the disciples, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is the victor. The score has already been determined. Jesus wins. Is your hope in Jesus? If it is, where is your joy? That is the source of our joy, Jesus himself. Then third and finally is this is, is Jesus your savior today? And if he's not, what are you waiting for? Jesus offers forgiveness of sin. And the Bible says before we know Christ that we're slaves of sin. But the moment we, we give ourselves to Christ, we believe the gospel, we become slaves of righteousness. That Jesus becomes our master. Are you a slave of sin today? Are you, are you being operated by the, the fruit of the flesh being demonstrated in your life? Or are you a spirit-filled person who's seeking the Lord or trying desperately, Lord, have mercy on us, forgive our sins? Are you humble before the Lord today? Once you are saved, you are always saved, and Jesus is your master. I end with this, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me read it one more time. We'll close in prayer. Because this message, friends, may be for one of you today. I, I prayed so hard this week over this message. I said, Lord, what do your people need to hear from your word this week? And I, I labor and pray. And Lord, what do your people need to hear? And there may be just one person this entire message is for today. Is it for you? And are you watching online? Is it for you? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. <laughs> thank you so much. 
that what we gaze upon determines what, how we praise. Lord, let us gaze upon Jesus. And Lord, if we're looking at anything in this world, it's just going to depress us in circumstances in life. Let us fix our eyes on Christ. Let us confess our sin. Let us walk closely with you. The joy would just be a natural overflow of our heart. And Father, if there's anyone here today who didn't know you coming in through the person of your son, would you convict them of their sins? Let them see the outcome of sin is an eternal hell separated from you, that Jesus has come to be the Savior to save us from it. Let them turn to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.